You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Joined today with Christina Dennis, my co-host. How you doing, Christina? I am doing great, Damon Frank. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. Great to see you today, guys. Guess what? Guess what, Christina? Can you, can you believe that? it? Let me do the screen here real quick. It's episode 96, Monday, April 11, 2022. Woo! Happy Monday, everybody. TGIF Monday. Yep. It's a great day. It really, really is. It's a, it's our way into the week and it's a do-over. I love it. Every we week. We love Mondays. Mondays are packed for us because we not only have the live show at 8 a.m., on or about 8 a.m., we're going to mm-hmm. say, uh, because we're, we're always like five or 10 minutes late. No matter what I do, no matter how early I wake up, guys, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, we're always five to 10 minutes late getting on air. Because this time, because we, we ended up chatting about what was going on in our weekend, and uh, we can't wait uh, to later today because we've got our Recovered Life discussions where we find out about what the community did over the weekend, too. So uh, we'll, we'll tell you how to join us today uh, and uh, really four days a week. Yes. On uh, Clubhouse, where we have our recovered life discussions. So, how was your weekend, Christina? Good? It was. It was really, really good. Um, you know, did a bunch of stuff. I always work on Saturdays, but yesterday I had a lot of downtime and it was needed. So, feeling refreshed and energized and ready to go. How about you, Damon? So, so glad, you know, so glad you had a good weekend. I had a horrible weekend I know. all weekend. <laughs> All weekend with a stomach issue, p- picked up some bug on a little uh, trip that I had to Las Vegas and just horrible. Thank God. Thank goodness. No COVID, but just like one of those wow. weekends where it was a lost weekend. But I did do something. I did clean my bedroom, which was good. I organized all my stuff because, you know me, I'm not I'm not somebody like, who could just lay in bed and be sick. I, I just cannot accept that. You couldn't stand it, huh? You had to get up I and do could, something. I cannot stand it. I just am <laughs> one of these people. Like somebody asked me if I was going to ever retire. And I just said, you know what? I just, uh, it's not for me. I could probably retire for a week or two. Right. And then that would be about it. We call those vacations. Do it really? Okay, yes. good, good. I do like vacations. I do. And I've been enjoying those more, you know, more and more in recovery. I'm learning how to actually let go and actually enjoy my, uh, enjoy my weekends and my uh, vacations. So good. And before we get started, I want to let everybody know this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Make sure to like, share, follow, leave us a comment so we keep bringing interesting topics that you want to discuss onto the show. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can leave a donation that will help us to continue to help others and join the network, which is completely free. We'd love to see you there. It's info.recoveredlife.us. Oh, thank you so much for mentioning that. You know, because I was traveling, I was I, I didn't get to spend as much time as I normally do, right? In uh, in recovered life, and so it was great this weekend to go through some of the posts, and I was commenting on them this morning. Uh, you know, I'd like to just give a little shout out real quick to everybody who's listening on Facebook Live. Uh, we have a lot of people that listen actually on Facebook Live in the mornings, and this is how they start their recovery uh, during the day is, is an episode of the recovered life show. So we'd like to welcome all of our Facebookers out there. Hello. Welcome. 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 (laughs) So, you know, speaking of, uh, letting go when we were talking about and enjoying life, I I wanted to bring up this first little topic this morning and see what your thoughts on it. You know, both of us do 
uh, recovery coaching. And, you know, both of us are, are very active in our own recovery. Yes. And one of the things that comes up all the time is surrender, which right. I think is, which is really uh, misunderstood. Uh, and I wanted to bring up the topic today is why is it so hard to surrender? Why is it so hard, Christina? <laughs> if you well, had the answer to that, it would be like, yeah, you just like, okay, we're done. Everybody would we're know. Done. Everybody would know. Everybody would know. No one would have to do anything with recovery anymore. Well, it, it, you know, to surrender takes you out of the perceived control of your life. And I'll tell you, this is not just a recovery problem. It is a problem in the world. Uh, last week, I was uh, on a, a another clubhouse room that is not about recovery. And there was somebody there who had all of the success trappings. And the book that he recommended that everyone in the room, we're talking hundreds of people, is the surrender experiment. And it really, really showed me that, wow, this is not just a recovery problem. I read the book in two days and it was a beautiful, beautiful tale uh, from Michael Singer about letting life flow to you and acceptance. And I kept thinking, yes, this is what we do in recovery, but it feels like you're falling off a cliff. Every time I feel myself resisting something, I try to think of that meme. Have you ever seen that meme where the person's holding on to a cliff and the person above is saying, just let go. And the person below is saying, surrender. And you realize there's just about two feet <laughs> between the person's leg yes, and the ground. Yes. It does. It does. It, it, it really sets us off. But in the years that I've been in recovery, I have started understanding and being able to think ahead of time. Maybe if I just didn't try this today, maybe if I just waited and saw what happens, I would have a little less pain in the resistance, a little less. And every single time that I've been able to surrender, it has always been for the better. Always. Well, I, I said, I, I've always said that, you know, recovery would be amazing, especially early recovery would just be a dream if you didn't have to deal with powerlessness and unmanageability. <laughs> Those are two, you know, I said that on a recovered life discussion. Everybody laughs, but it's like, I, it's totally, you know, it's one of those things that everybody laughs because it's true, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I cannot, uh, like I hate those. And mm -hmm. I'll just tell you almost three decades in recovery, the idea of powerlessness and unmanageability, like I just, it makes my skin crawl. I don't like it. I don't. Right. I, I don't like the idea of now I've accepted it to, to an extent that that's just the way that it's got to be, but sure. I don't like it. I don't, sure. I don't like it. And, you know, and I think one of the things that, you know, with surrender, why, why I like this topic a lot is that I think people in, you know, and I'm going to talk about early recovery now. I'm talking about like maybe surrendering. I think you have to surrender all the way through your recovery. Yes. You know, at first you're, you're surrendering the fact that you can drink like a normal person, like just anyone right. else, right? Like, so you have to let go of that. And then after you let go of that, then I think the next thing you got to let go of, typically what I see is like, oh, I've got to do this forever. I got to do this forever. So right? true. And then you got to, and then you got to let go after that of uh, ideas. Then it's all about letting go of previous ideas that you have, beliefs that you have. That is a tough part. That is a tough Over. part. And I think- Letting go of beliefs sometimes is harder, actually, than letting go of that you're never going to drink again. So true. And one of the things that I do when I work with people is kind of root out what these beliefs are. And I don't think that we get taught 
to actually question our own belief system near as much as we should. And a lot of times our belief systems, I would say uh, 99% of the time, we have these belief systems that we don't know where they came from. We don't know exactly why we think a certain thing. We aren't taught to question our thinking. And all it's all about agency and realizing that I cannot presume to know to think I know better. And that is part of surrender. Me realizing I don't know better than life, the universe. I My higher power, I choose to call God. I don't know better than God. So when I'm resisting and thinking, well, it shouldn't be this way. My idea is better. I know what I need to do. It's me presuming that that I know better. And isn't that sweet and, and, and adorable? And it's, you know, I don't beat myself up for having that, but being able to name it and go, oh, this is me trying to control. This is me trying to control people, places, and things. And what happens when I try to control people, places, and things? Pain pain happens. And so I I am definitely, you know, I'm a driven person. I want to do everything that I want to do. I'm not telling people don't get up and do something. This is not what I'm saying. But when life shows up, sometimes, no, all the time, yeah. rolling with it is actually the easier, softer way. Well, you know, I think, you know, what I have seen in working with others in recovery and in my own recovery is that, and this goes from, you know, it's interesting because the principle is the same, whether it's about, you know, am I accepting the fact that I'm an alcoholic or, mm -hmm. you know, these are big, like, look, we know just through in the recovery business that like that, those are huge milestone marks, right? Like, right. oh, I can't drink like other people. I accept the fact that I can't, right? Like, so these are huge things, but it could be something as much as like something small, like a way that you act out or something mm -hmm. that you do that's not right, right? It could be something very, very, could be the way that you eat. Like, hey, I can't eat this anymore, right? Like I've, I've had that, like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I was telling you the other day, it's like, I love a ton of barbecue and stuff like that, but I can't eat that all the time, right? Like, no. so I realize, like, oh, I can't have that every weekend, right? So, you know, I, I think that people get confused a lot of the times and this is where I see relapses happen and this is where I see a lot of misery happen. They sure. confuse surrender with a parlay, you know, Ooh. and a parlay is different than the surrender. A parlay is like in battle when you say, look, I will give up if you meet these different conditions. Right. Okay. So I'll give up if you make sure you don't hurt anyone, if you make sure, right. All, if you make sure that you can give my town back, this was a, like a battle term parlay. Yes. It's a, it's a negotiation. Surrender is not a negotiation. You mm -hmm. either surrender or you do not. Surrender is unconditional. So I think what happens is a lot of people come in and say, well, I surrendered, but they mm -hmm. didn't. What they said is, is like, well, I'll get sober if I can keep my job or right. if he or she does not leave or if I can keep my money or if I can keep doing this activity, I I'll, I'll get sober, right? But that's <laughs> not really surrender, right? It's a parlay. I think it's enough in the beginning. Let's be honest. I think that it, it might get you in the door, but it's not going to keep you here. And, you know, the more that I resist something, the more I love the fact that you use the word battle because that ex that describes it exactly how, how it feels. And one of my biggest lessons of surrendering is when my son received a diagnosis. And that took me a long time 
to accept and surrender that this was what was going to happen in my life and that he was going to need extra help and that my life wasn't going to look like how I thought it would. And with that, there comes pain, there comes, you know, frustration and anger. And I had to actually surrender to those emotions as well. And once I was able to do that, you know, he was happier, I was happier. And it really, really did help me realize that resistance is futile resistance is futile. And I would say anytime I want to battle, you know, autism spectrum disorder, autism is going to win. So I need to go with it and figure out what I have to do, but at the same time, show up and do the next indicated step. So it is, it is not an easy thing. I don't want anybody to think that, that we're here saying, all you have to do is surrender and things will be okay for you. Uh, doesn't really work like that, but in the end, God's ideas are always better than my ideas. Well, always. I found that I, I I found that the surrender first, uh, especially the first surrender. You know, we're talking mm -hmm. about: Am I going to continue to drink? Am I going to continue to use drugs? Am I going to continue to be codependent? Am I going to right like like uh -huh. this decision? I always found this has just been empirical data that it always has gotten better for the person. I think primarily like, why is that? Like, you know, I, I, I ponder a lot of stupid things sometimes like, well, why is that? Like, I, you know, <laughs> I think everybody is looking, I, I think everybody who, uh, most of the people that I meet in recovery are seekers, right? Yes. I, I think God gets, uh, you know, God creates drunks, if you will. Uh, so seekers, We'll have a we'll we'll have something that will ignite that because maybe that would not have happened if right. it wasn't for this right because I think the interesting thing about the letting go part of it and the surrender part is what is on the other side we've already predetermined we've scripted well it can't be better than our idea but yes. yet our idea got us to where we were right and that's really not working well right. So I think what it really does is open up ideas that are not your own. It, yes. it's, it's the pathway. And I think that's why when you see a lot of the times, and you know, you hear these stories all the time, Christina, and I know you've experienced them, you know, a uh, man or woman living under a bridge right. 20 years, all of a sudden one day surrenders and right. then everything starts to open up and change for them almost seemingly out of nowhere, Right. But it wasn't out of nowhere. Like what you start to what you start to learn in recovery is that it was there all the time. It was just you just they were not open to it. Right. 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 You you stayed in one room wondering why doors aren't opening, and the minute you exactly. were willing to put your hand on the knob, all of a sudden the door is open. And it does happen all the time. I heard uh, when I first started, and I'm from a 12-step program. You know, God brought me to AA, and then AA brought me back to God. And I totally believe that. I totally believe that. I would never change or exchange the life I have to drink, quote, normally. I was talking to somebody last night who just uh, just celebrated her first year. And we spoke about this very thing. I was discussing with her about the vaccine, you know, that you and I talked about last week and how strange it is. And I can honestly say that if I could, quote, drink normally uh, and not have the, the, the 12 steps and what helped me, I wouldn't want it any longer. I would not I, want I, it. This, this, the, I, I just got to tell you, people who are listening to this that are not on the live stream, you could see my face. I have no idea 
why people would want to drink normally. Right. I, I find this so crazy. Like that's the last thing that I think alcoholics think about is like, well, if only I could drink normally, we right. don't understand normally anyway. Right. No, we like, don't. So no, what, what, if, if we understood normally and could really grasp that we could get all, well, I think what, I, I think that the confusing part for any any kind of quote normies, I hate that word, but mm-hmm. any normies that are out there, people that are not alcoholics and say, well, why can't they just kind of see that they're drinking themselves to death? It's like, uh, no, we, no. we they really can't see it, right? No. Like, so, and this is, and I get this now as being a recovered person. It's like, you look at it and it's sad. You look at it and you go, this is totally insanity. I, I see all that. But the thinking process that somehow alcoholics are going to think like, oh, gee, I want to drink normally. Right. Right. Like, I don't I don't I don't know about that. That, that just seems so dubious to me. It does. It does. And, and I mean, imagine I have for many, many years felt like the fact that I drank alcoholically was one of the best things that happened to me because of where it brought me. You know, because of I actually had this ability to open up a life plan and and learn how to surrender. And the, and thinking about just that room last week, where somebody is later in life and saying, "Wow, this book really changed my life." I feel in, completely blessed that you know the twelve steps were around that gratitude and surrender was one of the tenants and it really really did not only save my life physically it opened up the ability to have a beautiful life and learn how to let go of resistance yes and i think that this is the process i will have to tell you one of the things that i think people in recovery have an edge over and if you're listening to right now on a podcast or you're listening to this in your car driving you, I, I think really pay attention to what I'm going to say here because I think this is important. The one thing I've learned is that we do have an edge because we're constantly going through uh, trying to lock on to our own, own ideas uh-huh. about what we think is right and what we should do. And some of those are great, by the way. I, and I think yes. and some of those are really good ideas and things that we should do. And then constantly sifting through the uncomfortableness of finding out which ones do not work. Right. And then the process of letting go of those to open up new things. This process you learn in recovery. And I have to tell you, you know, you and I both know a lot of people, uh, you know, pain and suffering exists outside of people that are in recovery. Sure. Like, does. You know, and this is a process that people have a hard time with anyway. I they mean, sure just the, the idea of ide- identifying with this is no longer working with me. For me, I'm going to let go of this. You know, I know plenty of people who do not have drug or alcohol problems, never have had drug or alcohol problems or any addiction problems that suffer from this, that can't do this successfully in any level of their life. Right. And, you know, the idea that you can get through life without having struggles or or with things going your way consistently is something that we learn, you know, from a very young age. It's that whole idea of, you know, this is this is how I'm going to control the narrative period in my life. And if things don't work out that way, I don't really have any option. And once I 
realized that it was a gift for me to get it in my 20s. I too wish, oh my gosh, if we, you could just get this concept, if you could just understand that you all you have to do is let go and there's only two feet between you and the ground and you will be okay. And I work with a lot of uh, recovering codependents and betrayed partners. And I, I actually believe sometimes it's easier for the addict to get it because they've tried so long. It's actually a little harder for somebody that's had some success, but we find that perfectionism is incredibly close to shame and our world needs to discuss shame way more often. And I get why they don't want to, it doesn't feel good, but we are all walking around with that. And so if we can continue yeah. to have conversations, the shame can't stay if we start talking about it. Yeah. Shout out to George Snyder. You know, we did a lot of uh, you know, life and recovery strategists. We did a lot of episodes on Hawkins, who mm. wrote the book Letting Go, who knew Bill and Bob in the 12 step program. Right. When that was founded and he went in, he he went another way with that. He was a kinesiologist. I always mm -hmm. butcher that name. But you know what I'm talking about? People uh -huh. who deal with energy and movement. Yes. He uh, very interesting. He's passed now. But he talks a lot about it. I've heard a lot of recordings about how shame is the lowest vibration and really just the group. And one of the things that he said that was interesting about groups, and and I believe that we have this on Recovered Life because I could feel it in our discussions. Right. Christina, our Recovered Life discussions is that the group itself lifts people out of the shame. Yes. Long enough so that they could look around mm -hmm. and just say, hey, there's an opportunity here for me to live a different kind of life, Right. Hey, so there's true. another idea that I could lock onto. And I think that this is so, this is such the, the magical thing that I have found in recovery is that, uh, you know, shame really is the lowest vibration. I mean, Hawkins talks about it. He wrote a whole book about letting go, wrote a whole book about like shame, about how shame is. And, you know, the interesting thing is when you dive into this letting go powerlessness stuff, you cannot not talk about shame. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Though they're aligned for some reason, but the question that he presents is, where did the shame come from? Many people in recovery feel shame, mm -hmm. and they have no—they have nothing to feel shameful for. It's almost been like imparted on them, generally, yes. generationally. And we see this right with people who are recovered uh, from parents and 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 family members who are, uh, you know, who were alcoholics or dysfunctional. So, so true. And shame is universal. So it's kind of this thing about do whatever you can do to shove it down and, you know, do anything that you have to do so that people can't see it. And it's actually one of the things that we should talk about most often because it dissipates when empathy enters, which is why I think peer support groups work. Yeah, they do. Oh, well, it's I, I think there's I, I don't even know if there's an argument about peer support groups working anymore. Like I don't even now. I've heard that. I've, I've heard that in the past. I think that was a, a, a late, you know, that was a 90s thing. Yes. You know, a, a 90s thing. It's like, well, why are we spending money? Why are we supporting this? Why are we spending time? People just need to buck up. They can't drink like 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 their fellows. And that's it. Right. Yes. But but we found that that doesn't work. And as you know, look, one of the one of the great things is that we could see the government throwing millions and millions, if not billions of dollars into the recovery world. And it just not working. I mean, 
flat out. You'll 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 see you know you'll see millions of dollars being spent, but then you'll see somebody take a hundred thousand dollars. Like you know, I have a buddy who worked here in the valley. They'll take a hundred thousand dollars and they'll get you know numerous families sober, right? Off of that and productive and happy and doing it. Why? It's because they have that community element. So, so true. I wouldn't be here without the community. Truly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I, I m- more about this powerless topic. Uh, you know, I'm going to put a poll on Recovered Life. We'd love everybody to go vote uh, at recoveredlife.us. And if you're not a member, you can join for free. And I'll give a little plug before we go into the next segment here. But I'm going to put up a little poll, Christina, and I'd love people to comment and answer on it. Is do you uh, do you have a hard time surrendering? Right. to your ideas, right? Do you have a hard time surrendering? And I'm curious to see what people's responses. I'm always shocked when I put yes. up these polls because I think it's one way and then it's always it's always either in the middle or something else. Interesting. I can't wait to see it. I'll go on and vote for sure. Okay, definitely everybody join us on that poll. We're going to put that onto the network here in the next couple of minutes. Hey, real quick before we go in, we've got much, much, much more show to come. But before we go, before we do this uh, quick uh, little uh, 15 second break here, I'd like to kind of mention a couple of things here. Uh, uh, Christina, if I could, you know, we've got a lot of free e-courses that help Mm -hmm. people in their recovery. I'd like to mention two real quick. One is can't say no, which you created. Do you want to tell people about that really quick? Absolutely. I put together a little three-day challenge where you can look at your boundaries, take a little inventory and have language on how to set boundaries for yourself and with yourself so that you know how to say (laughs) no or I'll get back to you. And it seems very simple, but we're not conditioned to do that. And so I really encourage people to go on there. It's completely free and and it gives you a really good stepping stone to start creating these really, really good habits that help us. We need boundaries in order to create intimacy. It sounds backwards, but it's completely true. Absolutely. Guys, if you're listening to this and you, you know, if you've, if you've learned the black belt of recovery is always the black belt of recovery is always codependency. So guys, Mm -hmm. if you want to take a step forward on that, but you don't know where to start, it's so easy all you have to do is go to info.recoveredlife.us and you can see a little link right there to can't say no. You can get it totally for free. It's the three-day challenge from Christina Dennis. I highly recommend it. It is an amazing, amazing three-day challenge. It just walks you through step-by-step about how to take that first little step that's going to yes. allow you to take a much bigger step. So Christina, thanks so much for offering that. Also much more free e-courses on Recovered Life if you're a member. I got to give a little plug here, uh, Christina, to Stacy Danford's Shopping Please. Addiction PDF and an episode that we did that's on there. That's amazing. We still get comments about that, even though we did that several months ago walks you through how to start dealing with shopping addiction, which many people have after they get into recovery. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. Saving me. Yes, exactly. So all of that and more, just go to info.recoveredlife.us. We're going to be back right after this quick little break. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. 
Welcome back to our second segment. Before I start, I want to let everybody know that it's been brought to you by Covered Life contributors and people like you. Make sure to share, like, follow, and give us some feedback so that we can continue this discussion. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us, join the network, leave a donation that helps us continue to help others, and uh, make sure that we get to know you, become part of the community. So the second segment, Damon, is an article that I sent you, which is, I thought, very interesting. Our Friday show put a little bug in my bonnet, and I wanted yes. to find out a little more about video game addiction. And there were yes. so many articles, let me tell you. Uh, in case people there are is, There's a lot of articles about it because I think people are suffering. But, you know, I, I got to throw this out before you begin with this. Um, okay. The reason I mentioned this on Friday on TGIF Sober was that, you know, I, I have seen a lot of people. We were talking about stigma just mm -hmm. to set it up with alcoholism and drug addiction, codependency. It's like, well, oh, my God, just get over it. It's like, oh, or something's wrong with you if you have an addiction problem. And we were talking about, just to set this up, They've pretty much come out to say 12 in 100 people, 12% of the population identifies as either recovering or recovered, right, from yes. an addiction issue, that they've struggled with an addiction issue. Now, this is a large amount of people, but there still is this huge stigma to this. And um, where I've seen this breakthrough, Christina, where I've seen this breakthrough is people who were very uptight about this and say, well, it's a willpower issue. Right. See their kids get addicted to Fortnite and games and sugar are both of those together and their eyes start to awaken. It's like something's going on here more than them just waking up in the middle of the night to play video games. So, so true. And uh, I think that COVID exasperated it like like alcoholism we saw the numbers rise we realized people needed to get into recovery they started doing it there's a huge online present presence about recovery and realizing that we're using something to the detriment of ourselves and the world health organization recognized and it's called internet gaming internet gaming disorder in 2019. So that was pre-covid and i think that we knew a little bit but we kind of thought it was those you know, people that struggle and are antisocial. And what they have seen is that it is rising rapidly in adolescents and children. And the actual function of gaming disorder is something that I wasn't exactly clear on until I read this article. So the article shares uh, about how what it actually does to our brain. Like we can see on the outside, why are they spending so much time? I don't understand it. Some of the some of the things that you should look for in your children is is whether they're having intense urges for screen time. They're spending money on video games. Uh, are they cutting back on their social or recreational because they have a preference to play the video game? Are they continuing to participate in it, even if it's causing problems in their life? Are they displaying signs of irritability, anxiety, or anger when they're forced to stop playing, even if it's just for a brief moment? Are they starting to lie to people about how much they're playing? Um, are they needing more screen time and more screen time as they continue to play? And are they neglecting their appearances? And I thought, oh, wow, those, yeah. right? 
there's something for each parent to look at. And if you are an adolescent or have heard this about yourself, because we know that addictions switch. So sometimes you can get let go of alcohol and it'll show up. Or sometimes you'll well, let never, go of a drug. You know, having, having uh, family members that have suffered from this and friends that have suffered from this, this is a real thing. It and, is. and I have to tell you, like, and I've seen this, you know, I think this is also a trend with, with guys in mm. their 20s. I've seen guys like 25, 26, 27, 28, even to early 30s that, you know, they've got a beautiful girlfriend. They've got uh, all this stuff going on and they're spending their, their 24 hours a day playing video games. And I, I like, I'm just like, come on already. Like. It's like enough, like you got to let this go. This is not good. And I see this in recovery too. Like right. they seemingly, they that's something that, that we're talking about surrender. They just cannot let go of that. And it's obsessive and it um, it's just addicted to the screen. They're always playing video games, always, you know, always plugged in and they can't seem to really let go of it, even though it's not benefiting their lives. Right. It's, detri it's detrimental to their lives. I've been the girlfriend that has been left behind because somebody needed to play a game. And yes. so it's, it's very hard to understand. It's very similar to gambling addiction. And what it does in the brain is really, really interesting. So you know how if you watch a sad movie or a happy movie, mm -hmm. you know, you cry or you laugh. And that's because your brain actually believes that those events are happening to you. You can see yourself in that same position. That's why we cry when something happens that is a sad movie, even though it could be about strangers across the world. Well, the same thing is happening with gaming and it's called hyper arousal, right? Your brain has hyper arousal and guess what it drives? It's our good old friend dopamine, you know, and oh, dopamine yeah. is important, but just like how when you drink alcohol and dopamine, you know, your brain realizes this is the quickest way for me to get dopamine and you become addicted to alcohol. So does gaming. All right. It's mm. the same thing. You're in hyper arousal, which affects you physiologically and you continue to need more and more. And the more you play, the more dopamine you get. Well, so I think. Yeah, and it, just to just to interject here real quick, um, I want to let everybody know that this is uh, an article from Mayo Clinic Health Systems too. It didn't have an author on it. I think it was just actually put out from them. So this is like this is a clinical study, correct? This is like yes. not just our opinion or the writer's opinion about this. Exactly. They can actually see the brain function. And there are more and more studies that are coming out to show how dangerous it is. Now, we kind of giggle, but I think people are starting to realize that we are addicted to our phones. And so the gaming is just one step further uh, with the hyper arousal. And it is impossible to tell your brain, you know, without true rehabilitation without true attention to it, it for a child to kind of regulate themselves or an adolescent or if you're in early recovery. And there's something to be said about harm reduction. Obviously, you know, uh, playing a video game is going to be less dangerous than, you know, participating in a drug, you know, but it is a drug in its own self. It really well, is. Well, I, you know what? I, I, again, harm reduction. We talk about this. Do I want to tackle getting sober, screen addiction, nutrition, uh, exercise, and codependency all within forty-eight hours? No, no. I, I think that that's a bad idea. And I think, as a coach and interventionist, Christina, I think you would say like, 
do not do that. Like take the thing that's killing you the most. The first, yeah. Tackle that, right? And then go. And what, you know, it's interesting because what we find about, uh, I would think that I would have nothing in common with people to, because I played video games. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say I dislike them, but I don't necessarily, it's not my go-to entertainment thing, right? Right. And I think everything, it's like gambling. Like, you know, I'm somebody who can gamble. I'm not an addictive gambler. Like I can, I'm somebody who can do it for entertainment to say, oh, here's a hundred dollars. I'm going to spend a hundred dollars and you know, I'll play a couple of slot machines or whatever. And I walk away. It's like, okay. It was like, I spent a hundred dollars or I made some, it's like, I didn't make anything. It was entertainment. Right. But I know people who can't do that. They can't place one bet. Right. Because one bet will turn into a million bets. So yes. I think I understand it. I, I understand it. I think there's so much going on with the screen. So it's not just video games. And I found myself, I'm going to be honest, a little judgmental about this. Really? But then I realized the other night, yeah, I was in a, cause I'm like, oh my God, come on. Like just cause mm -hmm. I had a family member. It was like, all right, man. Like you, it's like, it's time. You're old enough now. It's like, let go of the video games, go out right. and do a life. Right? right. But I found myself the other day, uh, at my old school meeting, picking up my phone and going through things. And I was like, wait, why am I doing this? I'm, I have more than enough things going on right here. Right. Why am I doing this? It's like, I am addicted to my screen. So I've started to kind of try to just leave my phone behind. True. A lot. And I feel uncomfortable about it. I feel yes. honestly, I'm like, wait, I can't do that. That's one of the strategies to what they're sharing with parents that are starting to notice that your adolescent may be going down that road is to have some serious guidelines, some locks on the phone to actually help somebody and assist them moving away from it. There are some medications that they're treating gaming addiction with where it helps the brain to shut off and not get the same dopamine hit that it was getting. But if you start to notice it, you start locking the phone, you start moving it out, you start increasing the discussion around it, and you model the behavior. And I've seen this with parents, you know, that don't want their children on the screens, but they're on the screens just as much. And it's a really has to be a community effort. And there is a lot of judgment around it. You're right. I see memes all the time. We're the last generation. I'm a Gen X. I know you're a Gen X. We're the last generation that played outside, you know, as if we it's have some. true, though. <laughs> it is true. But we didn't have the access to that we have nowadays. So it's certainly something for us to think about as parents and something that if you realize that it is moving you toward that direction, that you need to start putting in some safety parameters around it. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's like you don't realize what you've lost with all the screen addiction until you're in a situation where you have to put down your phone. I remember several years ago, I was, uh, I, I, I ride horses a lot. I love horses. And I was out on a ride in a ranch uh, close to Los Angeles. And there was a bunch of like preteens and mm. they were all running around and playing on this ranch. Right. Half of them lived on this ranch. And I was like, something's really odd here because having a preteen at home at that time, right? Like I realized it's like, they're all plugged in, you know, in the city, yes. they're all plugged in. And these kids were free. They were running around. They didn't have a screen. They weren't checking in. They were like, they were doing things, taking risks, having fun, right? Like you realize, um, you realize how much you've lost when you've had to put it down. But I, I, it's, it is shocking the uncomfortableness that you experience when you leave your phone. It's almost mm -hmm. like leaving your shirt 
or parents right. at home. Right. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. But the cost to the adolescent and to ourselves not to be able to walk through that is greater. Yeah. And I think that's the really important thing. It We don't get the ability to emotionally deal with things. Frustration comes quicker. It is not actually helping us. I was speaking with a client over the weekend, and I'm going to shut this just for a minute. I was speaking to a client over the weekend and discussing this. And I said, you think that the phone, you think that game that you're doing is helping you relax, but it processes so much faster than your brain that it's actually right. creating anxiety. It is actually making it difficult for you to manage your life. And we had a serious conversation about it. And I understood, you know, as this person was looking at me, why it felt so bad to let go of the phone. But once you start putting down your phone, you know, I mean, social media, all of the things that come back to us, but it's an actual brain function to have your brain and hyper arousal all the time is yeah. not healthy and it doesn't well, allow you to manage your life. COVID made it worse because now it did. all plugged in. And I got to tell you, like working from home, like if you have to work from home, like I was somebody who did not work at home for a long okay. period of time. Then COVID came and the office shut down. I had to work at home, right? So right. The, the thing is, is that now everything is blurry. But I found myself this weekend where I took a nap. My tablet and my phone is sitting right next to me. I have to have this technology around me all the time. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I need to put this in the other room. Right. I'm working on my garden or doing things that I enjoy. Um, and I've got my phone. I'm, I keep looking at my phone. This is stupid. This yes. is not, this is not a life. This is a, this is a faux life, right? Right. And how, what, what does this suggest? You know, what does this, what does the Mayo Clinic and this thing suggest about how to move away from being, if you find yourself getting sucked in to mm -hmm. this? Well, it's just not sleeping with your phone in the room, making it a habit of it being away from it, really seriously talking to a professional, getting a coach, start having these discussions, recognize that it's robbing you of your life and start having an accountability partner who will say, okay, we're done. And there are programs where you can lock your phone and not allow yourself to surf the internet. So there are ways for us to be able to do this and it'll be painful at first. Also, there are recovery programs and rehabilitation centers that are spending and starting spending the money on the research to start to figure out how to make this better. Um, we have 12 step groups that are around, around gambling. Uh, They're very similar to gaming. And so if you find yourself in serious trouble, it's time to ask for help. And I think teens, too, I think parents need to recognize when People when kid when kids are having temper tantrums because they played for eight hours. Yes, and they don't want to write, and you're like, no, like you got to take a break, and they're having to. Like I've seen this, right? And so I think we need to, like I think as parents and as you know, aunts and uncles, and just being part of a community, I think we need to identify that this is potentially a problem because that dopamine hit, if that mm -hmm. video game's not there, they're going to seek it out when they find drugs and alcohol. That's going to yes. become very familiar, soothing for them. Yes, it is. Like, hey, you know what? I might not be able to play video games in college 24-7, but I yes. can drink at night or I could do this, right? Like, So I think that that's the next, it's almost the starter drug. It really is. And alcohol. It really is. And we know that a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, a 15-year-old still has another 10 years for their cognitive function to yes. be completed. 
And we know this in alcoholism and drug addiction, the earlier you start, the, the less you are able to actually move through those lessons and develop your brain and your prefrontal cortex. And so we all get to kind of grow up once we get sober and really start having these feelings. So it is up to us to pre-plan and make a decision of how much time will that screen time be allowed for this child? And I think that it's a conversation that all of us as even adults have to start figuring yeah. out how do I put down the phone? Well, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention, guys. We're going to put a link in the show notes here to this Mayo Clinic Health Systems article. It's definitely a good read. Thank you so much, Christina. We're going to continue this uh, conversation on our Recovered Life Discussions Yes. Just want to give a little plug on that. You know, uh, in a matter of minutes, Christina yes. and I are going to be on Clubhouse having a discussion, uh, Recovered Life this week. We've got four discussions that are going on this week, all at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time uh, on Clubhouse every day, Monday through Thursday. Guys, that's the best game in town. It's not only you can listen to the Recovered Life show, but you can come on and have a discussion and we want to hear what you have to say. So definitely join us on Clubhouse Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You're definitely going to see Christina Dennis and myself there. Also join us on Recovered Life, guys. If you're not a member, join because we're going to continue this video game conversation there and screen mm -hmm. addiction conversation there, Christina. We sure are. And there's more to come. And so, and we're learning more every day and we'll keep bringing it to you. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope to see you on the Recovered Life Discussions, episode 96, Monday, April 11th, in the can. Have a really great week, guys. Bye. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.